0: Welcome to Sacred Realms. What? It's a great day in High Rule, y'all. Welcome to Sacred Realms, a Zelda retrospective podcast. I am your host, Lyndon Willoughby, and I am joined as always by my co-host, Matt Willoughby. How are you doing today, Matt? Lyndon, I'm pretty good today. I, um, this section of game was pretty good. Um, I filled it with a lot of side quests. Um, I am ready to do some talking. I, I do have to admit, I'm a little bit sad that we don't have a guest this week. We had such a good time with Kylie last week that uh, just talking to you is a little bit boring. How do you feel about that? I feel vaguely offended, but also I can't fault your logic. Um, no lies detected. So uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we did have to move our guest this week to the Spirit Temple. So, in my opinion, they're getting a much better section of the game anyway. So they're kind of coming out on top. Yeah, no joke. So uh, originally the plan was that we were going to have the the third in this trio of Willoughby siblings. Our youngest brother Jackson was going to come on this week, and he was going to uh, help us talk about Jabu Jabu's belly and everything we're gonna we're gonna talk about this week. But. Uh, he is finishing up his final semester of college, and we're just going to give him some space to, you know, do that. Um, kind of a big deal. So, uh, yeah, he'll come back on uh, more towards the end of this whole run of episodes, and, and he'll help us tackle the Spirit Temple, which, as Matt said, I think is um, a much better and more fun section of the game anyway. So. Yeah, I, you know, I've heard that, that uh, formal education is kind of important, time-consuming, so I guess we'll let him do that. Yeah. Maybe a little more important than a podcast episode. Just a smidgen. Uh, yeah. As as someone as someone with a history of mediocre academic performance, uh, you know my <laughs> mediocre being a uh, strong word on the positive end. Uh, yeah, um, definitely over. Uh- overestimating uh, how that actually went just a a bit but uh, that's neither here nor there Um, but yes as Matt said no guest today just us two we will be back with another guest next week and we'll tell you who that's going to be at the end of the show so um, in the meantime if you didn't know Sacred Realms is a weekly re-examination of the Legend of Zelda one little slice at a time Sacred Realms drops every Wednesday and is available on all major podcast networks every week we play a new section of a Zelda game Then we sit down here to talk about it and drop our hot takes. If that sounds at all fun to you, please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hit that subscribe button and be sure to leave us a review. Five-star reviews are greatly appreciated and have a chance to get a shout-out here on the show. Actually, I'm going to pull up a five-star review real quick, and we're going to... Oh, are we going to, like, improvise? Yeah, well, (laughs) this isn't on the script. We can't do that. Yeah, I'm very sorry. Um... I am the... uh, Lyndon. we even script the banter. I'm the benevolent overlord of this podcast, and (laughs) I will choose when we deviate from the script. This is just your little microcosm of power. It is, but it feels so good. (laughs) We'd like to thank Run, Hide, Cry for their five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Run, Hide, Cry says, I love the Legend of Zelda franchise, and I'm looking forward to reliving my favorite moments from these games. I will definitely be replaying the games along with the podcast. Well, they get it. That's yeah. exactly what we want. Yeah, we like, love we love to hear that. Play with us and then, you know, send us some fan mail. Hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. Tell us what you played. Tell us how you did. Like, we want to play with you, Run, Hide, Cry, which honestly, if you need to do any of those things, just feel free to reach out. Yes. We, if we, this- can, <laughs> we can talk about it. You don't have to hide or cry. <laughs> if this podcast gives you the unfortunate urge to run, hide, or cry, then we're really sorry. Um, but we appreciate you leaving five stars anyway. Yeah, then, I mean we'll take we'll take the wins where we can get them. But if if you need someone to talk to, run, hide, and cry. <laughs> Anywho, uh, yes, uh, as we said, please head over to your podcast provider of choice, leave us a five star review, and it has a chance to get a shout out here on the show. We appreciate all of that support very, very much. If you want a little bit more Sacred Realms in your life, head on over to patreon.com slash Pod to get access to bonus episodes, write in listener mail, vote on what game we play next, and much, much more. I do want to remind everybody that as of right now, on the Patreon, we do have our first bonus episode live. We recorded it with Kylie Parker after the main episode that we did last week, and it is a certified 10 out of 10 banger. We had a great conversation about what we all expected and predicted from... Nintendo, uh, in celebration of The Legend of Zelda's 35th anniversary this year. So it's a great conversation. Head over to our Patreon and check that out. It's great content, and you don't want to miss out on that. So, you know, Lyndon, I want to celebrate a a little milestone that we hit this week before we move on into our uh, our episode talk. Yeah, lay it on me. So we are over 750 downloads on the podcast total. Uh, So we are creeping up on that big 1,000 mark. So as you guys come in and listen, be sure to hit that share button. Make sure you tell all your friends and family, anyone who wants to listen. Once we hit that 1,000, we're going to do something fun. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, uh, I have no idea what that means. Matt just came up with that on the fly right here, right now. But We're committed to it. Sure, yeah, cool. We're committed now. Um, Of course, uh, via the power of podcast editing, I could remove this section, but you know what? I I sort of like being held accountable to a higher standard, so I'm going to leave it in, and we'll come up with something once we get to 1,000 downloads. Yeah, let's do it. And so let's uh, get into uh, actually, the next piece. Actually, which, actually. Oh, what? Are we doing something else? Mom? No, We are. I'm sorry. I didn't actually provide Matt um, no. the most updated version of the script before we start recording this episode. sabotage. So it's sabotage. Yeah. Oh, actually, the, the more simple explanation is that this is just a, a real rickety operation over here and we're making it up as we go along. But hey, you know what? That's fun. We enjoy it and we hope you all do too. You can uh, describe yourself as rickety. I'm not. I'm a little rickety. <laughs> So I do want to announce one more thing before we get into the plot recap. We are doing a poster giveaway. Uh, I have done screen-printed pop culture art for a variety of galleries over the past few years, and there was a set of Zelda posters that I did last year that really caught on and people seemed to really enjoy. I don't have any copies left except for a very small stack that's sitting in my flat file, and we are doing a giveaway for the listeners of this podcast. In order to enter, all you have to do is leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, And then also follow us on Instagram. Send us a screenshot of you doing both of those things and email them to sacredrealmspod at gmail.com. We'll go through those and then we'll pick the winner at random. The posters that we're going to be giving away are the variant copies of Wind Waker, Breath of the Wild, and Ocarina of Time. And when I say they're the variants, that means they're the ones that are printed on gold foil paper. They are uh, stunning. I'm very happy with the way that they came out. And um, if you would like all three of those for absolutely free, then go do those two things. Get your screenshots, email them to us, and you have a chance to win. So, And we'll share some of those photos. So you guys can see them on both Instagram and Twitter. And when you see them, follow us and like it. Yeah, I'll be I'll be posting those up the same day as this episode goes live. So, yes, definitely. Get us on the new and noteworthy. Do it. That would be great. Now, without further ado... Let's talk about what we played. Oh, are we back on script now? We are. This is the Sacred Realms Rundown, which is a six-part analysis of what we played this week and the feelings that it made us feel. Today, we're covering Ocarina of Time Chapter 3, which takes us through Zora's River to Zora's Domain. Our dungeon this week is inside Jabu-Jabu's belly. Part one of the Sacred Realms Rundown, as always, is the plot recap as Capably Read by Matt. Uh, monologuing, always my favorite. I don't know if I'll ever get tired of saying that. Do you agree that you capably execute this section, or do you feel I like mean, I feel like I'm literate? Yes. Okay, and able to speak coherently. Well, that's good. Let's get this train back on the tracks. All right, we're back within the lanes, uh, in between the guardrails on the tracks, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. We'll just go on with the spirit it. tracks. Ah, so hey. great. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so, plot recap, as read by yours truly. We now have two spiritual stones on our quest to safeguard the sacred realm from the man with the evil eyes, which is still one of my favorite lines in video game history. Ganondorf. But where do we go from here? If you're like me and you wandered around Hyrule uh, for more than five minutes, Navy, Navi, excuse me. Navi. not. I'm going to say Navi. You know I always say Navi. Okay. Navi, uh, is very helpful and says, why don't you give your friend Saria a call by playing the Ocarina? So if you're like me and you did that, Saria very helpfully points us to the proud aquatic dwelling race known as the Zora. As we make our way up the rivers of Hyrule and come up to Zoro's domain, we find their king in deep despair over the fact that his daughter, the princess Ruto, has come up missing. Asking around the domain, the Zora people have searched far and wide through every river, aqueduct, and even into the great lake on the other side of the kingdom, Lake Hylia, but have yet to find any trace of her. We agree to join in the search, and in doing so we find a mysterious bottle with a letter inside, on the bottom of the Great Lake Hylia. The note points us to a mysterious Lord Jabu Jabu, And the princess being trapped within him. We return to the Zora King, show him the note written by his daughter, which is signed Princess Ruto. And he permits us to go and see the Great Lord, which sits in Zora's fountain directly behind the throne and is only accessible with his express permission. He charges us to rescue the princess from within the Great Lord. As we approach the fountain, we see a gigantic whale just kind of chilling. We trick the whale into swallowing us whole and begin our search for the princess within an obviously not quite entirely healthy uh, aquatic creature. We come across the princess fairly quickly, uh, but shockingly, she claims to have no knowledge of any note, nor does she believe that she is in any danger. Apparently, she routinely explores the great whale's innards, which I find questionable parenting. It's weird. Yeah, Uh, and she is currently looking for her mother's precious stone, which Lord Jabu Jabu also ate. She graciously allows us to escort her royalness uh, throughout the dungeon in search of her sacred gem. As we progress, we help the princess recover what can only be, upon examination, the spiritual stone of water. We defeat a giant parasitic growth that is within the Great Whale and save not only the princess and the spiritual stone, but also the Great Whale, Lord Jabu Jabu. All hail. As we exit the whale, Ruto agrees to part ways with the stone, but warns us that it is considered to be the Zora's engagement ring before doing so. We leave the realm of the proud Zora with the third spiritual stone and apparently a binding engagement to their royal line with Princess Ruto. So there you go. There's the plot recap, as told by me. This has been the plot recap as read by Matt. Let's get into part two, which is our takes on this section. I just want to start this whole thing off by saying that I also carry all my priceless jewels with me whenever I feed fish. So I think that's a really good habit to get into. Yeah. Um, you can use it to mesmerize them if they're shiny enough. Sure. Or is that birds? Uh, I think both. OK. We'll go I, with both. I have no idea. I don't know. Overall, I think that this is. It's certainly a much briefer section of the game than last week's was. We're confined very much to one geographical area of Hyrule's map pretty close to Zora's River, Zora's Domain, and all that, whereas last week we were going all over the place, you know, learning songs and And that's, again, assuming that you use the little teleporter thing in Zora's Domain to get between Zora's Domain and Lake Hylia, because if you don't do that, you're (laughs) literally trekking across the entirety of Hyrule. Yes, if anybody hasn't played this yet, um, when you're in Zora's Domain, there is a nice little portal uh, over by the waterfall, and you can swim through that, and it'll take you straight to Lake Hylia. You do not have to go all the way back down Zora's River and walk all the way across Hyrule Field and get to Lake Hylia that way. So that is a huge time saver. I'm really sorry if you didn't know that. Yeah, it would about triple your gameplay time if you just had to like walk back and forth between Lake Hylia and Zora's Domain. Yeah, in this, in this part alone, it's it's pretty crazy. It's a lot, it's a lot. But if you do go through the portal instead of walking there directly. Oh, you, so easy. Well, it, it's easy, but you miss the, the cool beauty shot that the game gives you whenever you go into a new area. Oh, really? Yeah. Does it like take it away completely for the rest of the game? I don't know if it I don't know if it gives it to you. I don't know if it's triggered by just coming into it for the first time from that one entrance. Mm-hmm. So, um I don't know. When we do the water temple, we'll probably figure this out if we like walk in there and then it does the thing the yep. way that it's supposed to. But yeah. I might go check it out before then just because but, I want to. but Anyway, so yeah, like I said, a much briefer section of game. Uh, I do think that one thing that we we get here that we didn't get last week is a, a, a very engaging dungeon. Uh, we'll get into that later yes. in the dungeon map. Yeah, so for me, I, I know last week when we did this, you said that you spent a lot of time before Dodongo's Cavern really running through a lot of side quests. So I that's what I did this week was I spent a lot of time going back um, and running through some of the stuff that I didn't do before Dodongo's Cavern, and e- and I even tried to knock out some stuff, you know, pretty much everything that I could. So I learned like f- three songs, got a ton of pieces of heart, did you know a ton of other stuff that we'll talk about mm-hmm. in the side quests. But um, overall, I think you're pretty spot on. It's the dungeon is, I mean, low, talk about low bar, but. Way better than Dodongo's Cavern. Yeah. Um, the boomerang is a fantastic item. And like the the enemies are interesting in Jabu Jabu's bellies. You can't fight them normally for a lot of the, a lot of the times. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. the those little electric eel things that come out of the floor. You can't hit them with your sword. You have to use your um magic sword swingy. Oh, the the fairies, whirlwind, the great spin. Yeah, the spin. Yeah. 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 So uh, overall, um, the dungeon definitely is a lot better. The Zora are an interesting people. Um, Zora's Domain's pretty cool, in my opinion. I personally think Zora's Domain's cooler than um, Goron City. I would agree. And then, yeah, going to Lake Hylia is actually really cool because it sets up a lot of things that obviously you can't interact with now. But, like, just looking around when you first enter Lake Hylia, you're like, oh, that looks important over there. And you see the entrance to the Water Temple. Right yeah, now. sure. I mean, you like, come out that portal and you're basically staring the entrance to the Water Temple yeah. in the face. Like, you can see a door that you can't get to or open. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, that's one of those great things that Zelda has always done. It, it never gets uninteresting to see something that you cannot currently access and, you know, you, you kind of – you get teased that there's something fun mm-hmm. to find later. And this game does that just as much as the games that came before it do and, and I never get tired of it. No, it's really cool. For sure. Yeah. Um, I, so I will say that I actually did not start off my whole playthrough by going immediately to Zora's River and doing all that because I, I saved and quit the game – as soon as I got the Goron's Ruby last week, which means that I still had to go up Death Mountain and get yeah. get the power, the magic meter, and get yeah. all that from the Great Fairy. Did the same thing. So that's because, because it annoyingly spawns you in your house in Kokiri Forest. Yeah, I'm yeah, always, definitely. that's always annoyed me. Yeah, um, the save system in this game is uh, certainly a little archaic. I think you know we're very used to having. Played Breath of the Wild recently, where the game will literally just pick up from wherever you happen to say that. But the Nintendo 64 had a, a lot more stringent memory requirements, and so Ocarina of Time, as a child, every time you save and quit the game and boot it back up, you're in your house in Kokiri Forest, and as an adult, you end up at the Temple of Time. So it, I think it just has to it has to do that. It has no system by. By which it can plop you right where you ended the game at. Um, and then, you know, obviously, we go into Majora's mask as the sequel to this game, and it has an even stranger save system. So I think that is all down to the technical requirements of the n sixty four and just how much memory it can uh, it can retain in your individual save files. but for sure, uh, but it still annoys me. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah, it's not great. So walk all the way from the forest back to Death Mountain, go up, meet the first great fairy yes um and i just gotta say man the great fairy where where even to start with that um i I, i'm not really sure if the extra polygons that the 3d remaster got uh made the great fairy more or less terrifying than she was in the n64 version but marginally less i don't know she's less pointy It's upsetting. A lot of large, a lot of very sharp angles. Yeah. uh, 64 version. So, anywho, the Great Fairy is uh, certainly... A character the and I thing. and I met three separate ones. So in, did I. in this chunk of oh really? I did I, I did I did three great berries. You d- okay? So you did the the magic meter and spin yeah, attack obviously. Dins fire yes, and then you got feror's wind yeah. over by Jabu Jabu. Oh okay. yeah, I told you I'm going 100 percent completions playthrough, Lyndon. Cool. Well, I mean, the only reason I ask is because one, you have to go a little out of your way to go back and get Dins fire. Yeah. But it's worth it because it's the coolest it's one. It's amazing. Yeah, it's Such the coolest cool one spell. of those magical abilities for sure. Um, and I actually usually, I guess I mostly get Pharaoh's Wind in this section of the game because I'm over, there, over there anyway. There. Yeah, yeah, but also I never use that one. So. I cannot remember a single time I've ever used Pharaoh's Wind. I, I honestly can't. Yeah so anyway that's the first thing that i did went up the mountain met the met the fun little milk cow in the hole on the yep. way up yep went yeah to there uh, I, have I had a full i had a full bottle of lon, lon milk already so i didn't sing a pony song for her well that's fair i mean we, we mostly just like to go check in on that cow and make sure yeah, he's make doing sure she's okay. okay yeah, yeah. she I mean, seems okay she seems like she got a good gig fresh water grass it's lonely up there i mean i guess how much company does a cow need how did the cow get in the hole I'm I don't know. Okay. Yeah. It might not matter. Uh, maybe not. So, maybe the fairy put it there? It's the, maybe it's the fairy's cow. Ooh, great. Fairy's got a pet cow. Yeah, I like that. I think that. so. Yeah, I think it makes sense. Yeah. Although the cow is clearly sentient. It like Obviously. It, it expresses emotions and it's, it's and speaks th- to you. Exactly. It does. And it enjoys things. So maybe the cow does really require some company and now I feel bad. The cow just likes a a nice dark hole with some grass, a puddle, and a little bit of music. Who can't get behind that? That's fair. It must be relaxing. So got all of that out of the way, got the magic meter from the fairy, and then had the owl carry me back down the mountain. Um, Pro tip. Yes. For anyone hunting heart pieces, it is the easiest point in the game to get the heart piece that is in that dude's house in the cage with the cow. What is up with all these cows in cages and holes? I have no idea. Ocarina of Time has got a serious animal cruelty problem. Really though. So okay. Anyway, the the owl drops you off on the roof of the house overlooking the cuckoo ladies um, in, Cockere- in, in in Cockerigo village. In Cockerigo village, yeah. And if you just like drop down off the edge there, there's the little outcropping, and you can go in that hole in the dude's house, which he should probably fix because there's got to be a bad draft into his cow pen, and the the piece of heart is in there. So. Yeah. Pro tip. Well, cl- clearly, cows in this world can just kind of finagle their way through very tight holes, anyway. So they're if, like octopuses. Yeah. So if o- octop- octopi, octopus. I think it's just o- it's just. Octopus? I think the plural of octopus is octopus. Hey, listen. Hey, dudes. Editing, Mike here. Just a quick little note on this octopi versus octopuses versus octopus debate. Turns out that the correct plural form of octopus is either octopuses or octopi, which is technically incorrect, but a lot of people uh, use it anyway. The reason octopi is incorrect is because the I ending to a word is used when that word is derived from the Latin, but the word octopus actually comes from Greek. So it's technically not correct, but Merriam-Webster says that enough people use it wrongly at this point to where you can just get away with doing that. Also, if you were curious, a group of octopuses are called a consortium. So there you go. Knowledge. I mean, sure. Whatever. Maybe. I don't know. They're like, they're like an octopus where they can finagle their way into very weird situations. Regardless. I think that, as it, you know, if the cow in the hole on death mountain taught me anything, it's that cows in Ocarina of Time can get through very tight spaces. And if that dude in Kakarika village leaves that hole open on the back of He's his house, have a runaway cow. Yeah. That cow's just going to get out. He's going to get out with the chickens. But I think maybe I'm, he'll get put in a box. But, you know, I think I'm actually kind of pulling for that cow. I want the cow to get out. He looks lonely and bored. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have a nice puddle he or a, or ambiance music. No. Nope. He's just he's just in there with some hay. Poor S- cow. Sad. We we need to uh, hit up Sarah McLaughlin and see if she can uh, <laughs> she can get us a nice <laughs> commercial of an angel or something. Yeah. For this cow. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> so anywho, Um About done in Kakariko Village, I didn't do much else um, before heading off to Zora's River to kind of start taking care of, you know, the actual section of the game that you're supposed to do next. Mm -hmm. It's very interesting to me that you mentioned in your plot recap that Navi told you to contact Saria and then Saria tells you to go to Zora's Domain. Because, like, in replaying this game, I'm trying to do it in a way where I give myself enough room to be told things the way that a person who is playing it for the first time would be told like i like i i have all of this memorized so to me i know that i get done on death mountain and i immediately just kind of veer off towards zora's domain and i don't think twice about it but in doing this podcast one of the things we're trying to figure out is does the game have good systems For telling you how to do things like that. To be approachable to people not like us. Exactly. Because I could have very easily just been like, you know, point to point to point. I could probably play through this, this entire game without... Looking up a single thing or having Nevi tell me anything to do at all, but that's not the real experience, right? Not only do we look at it from our perspective of having done it multiple times and replaying, but we also want to approach it from the perspective of uh, what is someone who's playing this for the first time? What is it like for them? So, uh, yeah, that's exactly why. That it's, I think, the first time in, you know, probably my last five, six playthroughs or whatever of Ocarina of Time that ne- uh, Navi has told me to call Saria so that Saria could tell me what to do. But that was kind of neat. Yeah. I was like, because really, when you think about it, Zoro's domain, there's no map that shows you where Zoro's domain is. Well, there's- but you do have. OK, so on your world map, that section is still cloudy because yeah. you haven't been there yet. But there is a dot that. Is kind of up there in the clouds. Well, that maybe I need to pay more attention to the world map then. But so I guess, I guess what we're getting at here is that the game has at least three different ways of letting you know where you're supposed to go next, which is very interesting to me because in some ways this game is is very handholdy um, about getting you from point to point to point, but in other ways I feel like it's very indirect about about making those connections it, it, and we'll get to one of th- another one of those in a minute that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you the broad strokes, but then like once you get there, it's like figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's kind of uh, obscure when on the finer points, right? It yeah. gives you the broad strokes and then says like, all right, you made it to Zora's domain. And now what do you do? And I think that that is fine in a game, especially of this size. And, and granted, I know that this game seemed massive when it came out. Um, by modern standards, it's just not a huge game, and there are only so many places that you can even sort of go in it yeah. at the moment. So, if somebody really does get truly lost, I think that there, there are you know, like there's a, an incredibly limited number of characters that you could like go seek out and interact with, and eventually, you know, kind of find the clues that the game wants you to find. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. not that much ground to go back and recover. Yeah, so heading up Zora's River to get to Zora's Domain, exploring this whole section of the map is a lot of fun. You know what's really really fun? What? Getting all the way up to the top of Zora's River, falling in and then getting flushed all the all way back down the river. all the way back bottom. down. Yeah, did you do that? <laughs> yes. I Yeah, it was it was really dumb. I I bumped the control stick, and Link just took a took a tumble off the cliff, mm. and uh, yeah, ended up at the he took v- a little tumble over the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Rings reference for anyone who didn't catch that. Oh man, that was a good one. That was a deep cut. It was. It, it was. It was. Uh, luckily, it's fresh in my mind. I know, right? So anyway, walked all the way back up the river, played our little song to get into Zora's domain, which, as Matt mentioned before, is a really cool environment. Um, I like the music. Music is really cool, and a thing that I really enjoy about it is that it does get reused in several other games going forward. Mm-hmm. I I know for a fact that this musical theme gets reused in Breath of the Wild, which is cool because Breath of the Wild, um, it doesn't pull from music this far back in the series very often. So when you go to Zora's Domain in Breath of the Wild, it's really nice to hear this, this music again. Um, I'm pretty sure... I could be completely wrong about this. I think that Zora's Domain in Twilight Princess uses this theme as well. Hey, listen! Just checked, it totally does. I haven't been to Zora's Domain and Twilight Princess in probably a decade, so I don't know. I may need to pull out an editing mic for this, but I think that it does. But anyway, you're right; it's a, it's a cool theme. The entire space has a cool vibe to it. It feels a little empty. I think they could only have so many NPCs visible at one yeah. time, right? Um, so it feels and then popping out of the water is a little disorienting the first time it happens. Yeah, sure. So anyway, there's there's Zoras in there. But when you're just walking around, it sort of feels like it's you and, like, two Zoras, and that's the entirety of their race. Of Which who doesn't live sound here. like a very proud race if there's only, like, three <laughs> of you guys. You should probably tone down on the arrogance a little bit. Yeah, anyway, so that regardless, they are in there. Um, and this is one of the sections of the game where I was talking about very indirect uh, clues and markers to move you from one thing to the next to the next. The whole system where you... Have to acquire the silver scale, which then takes you through the Lake Hylia portal to get the message in the bottle. And that's the only way to get into Jabu Jabu's belly. It's not like. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. it's, it's, It's a series of logical leaps that you have to take to make it through that progression of things. Because basically the way that you would have to do that is go talk to King Zora, who has nothing to say. He gets one line of dialogue. And it's just that he's worried about the princess. He doesn't point you in any specific direction. So you've got to explore Zora's domain. You've got to talk to the Zora who plays the the rupee game, and you get the silver scale from him. And then once you get the silver scale, you're supposed to try diving deeper than you could before. Okay, here's the portal that goes to Lake Hylia. So we're out there now. The bottle is right in front of you. So you get the bottle, and then you take that back to King Zora. Okay, that's all great, but it's completely reliant on you just talking to the silver scale... Rupee game Zora in the first it, or place. Or you can talk to the the couple Zoras that are floating around down at the bottom because they each of them have a dialogue related to Princess Ruto being missing as well. And one of them actually says um, something along the lines of like, have you seen Princess Ruto? We've searched every everywhere far and wide, even as far as Lake Hylia. And it's like all like highlighted in like red. And so that's like mm. the only, you know, key marker. If you don't have the silver scale, if you didn't know or, you know, explore far enough to find the dude behind the waterfall and play his game. So imagine, OK, so we've been talking about this poor hypothetical person that leaves Zora's domain and walks all the way to Lake Hylia to search for clues about Princess Ruto. OK, that person, obviously very unfortunate. Now, now let, let's imagine that talking to that NPC you just mentioned Says, oh, I should go to Lake Hylia to find a clue about Princess Rudo." Walks all the way down there. Yep. Gets in the water, sees the bottle. And can't reach it because they don't have the silver scale. Then goes all the way back to Zora's domain to get the silver scale from that rupee game Zora. Oh, yeah. But how would they know about it? Like, no one tells you about anything about diving deeper, or... Man, like, if you don't explore Zora's domain and, like, find this rando dude chilling behind a waterfall, you are just SOL. But this is what it all comes back to. I figured this out as a child, eight years old, playing this game. So, like, clearly... I mean, it feels indirect to us now because – Maybe we're overthinking it. Yeah, we do so much of this based on memory, right? We just know to go from thing to thing to thing. But at some point, I figured it out by not doing that, and maybe I just blocked it out. But I don't recall as a child having a a big, painful experience trying to get through this section of the game. So maybe maybe it is more – intuitive than we're giving it credit for i mean if anybody if anybody remembers having a big problem with this or if you played this this week and had a had a big problem with it uh please hit us up and let us know because i'd be very curious to know if this actually functions better and more intuitively than than maybe we're giving it credit for that's true that's possible yeah Eh. So, anywho, um, when you look for things to criticize as part of a podcast episode, you generally find things. to Sure, criticize. sure, but but it's not. I'm not just being critical for the sake of being critical. No, a very common hallmark, especially of these earlier Zelda games, is that you do not get a lot of signposting telling you to go from one place to the next no, yeah. to the next. And this game actually because I replayed Link's Oh man, Link's Awakening is the worst about this, in my opinion. <laughs> like, dude, how the yeah. heck am I supposed to know, and I know we're kind of getting off on a tangent here, but how am I supposed to know that I need these special glasses from this weird item fetch quest to go read a book in the library that tells me the path I need to take when I get to the Windfish? How am I supposed to know that? Well, and it's so funny because Link's Awakening was the game that came out immediately before Ocarina of Time, so very clearly there was a, a big leap in that whole design mentality that was made from Link's Awakening awakening to this i think a lot of that comes from the fact that in a 3d space where everything is completely open and your your map isn't just a bunch of segmented grids you Mm -hmm. know Mm -hmm. um it can become much more disorienting and you can feel like you're just kind of you know floundering about trying to trying to figure stuff out but but again so this there's there's like there's a um Gradient of how much hand holding Zelda games have, with I think obviously like Link's Awakening, maybe. Uh, I would have gone with Spectrum, but actually, I think gradient probably works too. And well, they're basically different words for the same thing. Gradients just in like pastel colors, whereas a Spectrum is mostly in light. Spectrum, yeah, Spectrum implies a progression from. You know, differing frequencies of light and gradient implies an opacity change from a lighter color to a darker color. Yeah. Like I said, they're basically the same thing. I'm proud of you for knowing the word. Thank you. I'm not an artist. So when I know these big words that are art terms, it makes me feel a little happy. Anyway, I am artiste. Yeah, obviously Uh, not important to the actual point I was trying to make. There's a gradient or a spectrum of handholding in Zelda games uh, from, let's say, Link's Awakening, uh, Link to the Past, probably the NES games. We have never played them, so I don't know. On one side of absolutely zero handholding, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. It's entirely possible that I played Dungeons out of order just because I didn't know what I was doing. I can only assume that the NES games are infuriatingly opaque and that we're going to not love it. Uh, and then on the other end, we have uh, Skyward Sword and Fee telling me within 30 seconds of entering a room exactly what I have to do. Ocarina of Time does fall pretty in the middle there. Um, you know, I think it's, it falls into a good spot. Middle a good place to be. I, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So moving past that whole progression that takes you into Jabu Joppy Jabu's <laughs> belly, um, I did have a few kind of tangential thoughts based on that whole sequence of events. Uh, I love the silver scale Zora dude because he's just in it for the fun. He doesn't keep any of our money. He just wants Mm-mm. he just wants he everyone to have us a more good time. Money than we paid him. You can make twenty five dollars off twenty five rupees off of that, and you only pay him twenty. Gosh, that's right. Because you give him twenty, and then he throws five. five blue rupees in there. Okay, so he's operating at a loss. I know he is. He's really a philanthropist when it comes right down to it. Huh. Well. Good for that guy. You know, I I have a lot of respect for him. He's uh, he's a, he's a real guy, gentleman. Unlike the guy in Skyward Sword who runs that cannonball game that shoots you up in the sky. I hate that guy. That's Twilight Princess. No, it's not. It's because it shoots you up in the sky and you have to use the parasail and float down between. Like you go down between the rings and you land on a, the spinny thing. Yeah, that's Twilight Princess, bro. I literally I played this game six months ago. Prom- well, then it must be in both games because there's a cannon. No. There's a creepy cannonball no, dude in Twilight that, Princess. That's too. the one that shoots you with the chicken, and you have to like use the chicken to fly. Oh, okay. I stand corrected. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's okay. I forgive you. Um, speaking of interesting side vendors and all the all the ways you can get distracted in Zelda games, doing that. Uh, now that we've made it to Lake Hylia, I feel that it's important for me to tell all of you listening. That I will not be fishing in this playthrough of the game, <laughs> nor will I ever engage in the fishing minigame. I just can't. I don't get... Yeah, w- you hate the fishing mini I games. don't get what it is, and so many Zelda games have them. I just, and just games, period, actually have fishing mechanics. I don't like fishing in real life, and I also don't like fishing in video games. So, there you go. You're a man who lacks culture. I'm just kidding. I actually really don't like the fishing games either, but... As I'm doing a completionist playthrough, I did the fishing game. And I caught the nine-pound sucker, and I got my piece of heart out of it. This speaks to a very interesting difference in the way that you and I are playing this game. And a lot of it is just down to the fact that I am doing the three heart runs. So a lot of the side quests and— That reward you pieces of heart? Right, that's the thing. Like, a lot of stuff in this game, a lot of the secret stuff that you can go and find and do— rewards you with pieces of heart and so I'm very consciously avoiding those right now I mean it's not impacting my enjoyment of the game at all but it does mean that I am veering very intentionally away from a lot of the secrets and you know trickity tricks yep. that you can do that so. means you can't get all the gold sculptures either because i think at least two of those rewards are pieces of heart. i'm not going to get all the gold sculptures. i'm going to get enough to get all the wallets which yeah. I, I think will still get me a piece of heart which because i already got a piece of heart from, from skull kid skull kid means i'll have half of a heart container by the time the game so is done, if but. you accidentally mess it up and you get four pieces of heart and you get an extra heart where you have four what are you going to do i You're will gonna start it over no from the beginning all no, the way through? No, I'll admit publicly on this podcast that I screwed it up and I will apologize to everybody and continue on my merry way and beat the rest of the game. Well, I feel like we have to institute some form of punishment other than public shaming. I'll think about it. We'll okay. About okay. It. We'll yeah. I have a sure think it. on it because remember this is not just a three heart run for me, but also a three heart no death run. Which <gasps> public shaming again? Opportunity. I, I have not yet died. So yeah. Which I have to say is kind of impressive because that stupid barnacle thing, the boss at the end, just like electrocuted me probably fifty times. Okay. So this is a this is a pretty natural progression, I think into the next section which is of course part three the dungeon map where we analyze this week's dungeon from mechanics to music and more the dungeon is jabu jabu's belly and which our younger brother and i'm gonna say it on the podcast our younger brother uh affectionately calls butthole city because all of those doors (laughs) look like sphincters those doors are gross yeah i mean this entire dungeon is pretty revolting yeah like, i mean just overall i'm actually gonna try and sample some some mp3 sound effects from the internet and just drop this them into gross. this episode because man there's <clears throat> the noises like like squelch like ugh. <clears throat> oh man <clears throat> it's it's uh whoo look some some visual and audio designers making this game had a fantastic time doing all of this and and props to them they literally um, <laughs> ask themselves, "What would it be like to be Jonah in the in the belly of the whale?" Yeah, right. Like, because, the biblical story, Jonah. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole time you're just walking around inside this giant whale's like bowels. So, and various other things. I have to assume we at least make it to the colon at least once. Yeah. Um. The less, <laughs> the the less uh, discussed about that, the better. Um. I do just want to mention that this this whale is way bigger on the outside inside or the inside than he is on the outside. I was going to say that there's a, there's a absolute scale disparity happening there, which leads me to ask another question. Is there some kind of anomaly happening in Lord Jabu Jabu's mouth that creates a space dilation effect where he like sucks in with enough force to like literally pull a fully grown or half grown human child into his mouth like just with his intake of air like that's pretty impressive well but no you're talking you're talking about just Oh, uh, oh! You're the, talking about like the fact that once you enter, you, it's like straight up Star Trek Voyager, where they have yeah, exactly. Okay. Like there is a space there, <laughs> there Spa- is a, there's, there's a space-time <laughs> continuum distortion <laughs> effect. There, there's a dis- a, lo- a highly localized distortion. distortion of the space-time continuum, <laughs> <laughs> relegated to the subspace field. Oh my god! It's a quantum anomaly, yeah. Lyndon. <laughs> oh, so, oh yes. We got to bring Star Trek into our Zelda podcast. We watch so much Star Trek, you guys. It's embarrassing. Okay. (laughs) Wow. That, yeah. was, that was joyful for me. Yeah. Okay. So clearly the inside of Jabu Jabu's belly is operating on a different set of um, spatial rules than the rest of the world. Um, but let's just let's let's go back to the inhale because Lord Jabu Jabu has a seriously impressive inhale. I mean. Very. Extremely. Yeah. So. I mean, you got to you got to assume Link weighs at least like 75, 80 pounds when you factor in, you know, sword, shield and various crap that he's got yeah don't forget all the sticks and nuts yeah i mean you have at least 10 deku sticks 20 20 uh, deku nuts you got some bombs yeah i mean he's he's clocking in at least 80 pounds, two spiritual man. stones a few pieces of heart yeah I some mean, go- some solid gold skulltula tokens just a quick little and uh link's link's uh link's done for man yeah so that's so that's definitely impressive also um, talking about link Dude's got to have some dense muscle mass because he straight up like clean presses Princess Ruto over his head for an entire dungeon and just walks around and jumps like it's nothing. Yeah, so pretty impressive. So I have it written here. My favorite mechanic of this entire dungeon is that uh, really all you have to do to defeat anyone in here is just throw Ruto into them. Well, that's pretty great. Just kind of like toss Ruto into some. I use her to pop most of the bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. I will say, so you were talking earlier about how cool it is from a difficulty standpoint in this dungeon, how it's impossible to kill most of the enemies in here just using your sword or even your slingshot, which is great. It adds an artificial, not an artificial, it it adds a level of difficulty and urgency to mm-hmm. this section of the dungeon because you because you're constantly just running away from these electrified jellyfish and at this point in the game even if you're not doing you know even if you're not doing a three heart run you still don't have that much health so you can't get hit by too many of these guys so i thought that that was really cool that being said having gotten din's fire before mm-hmm. going into the dungeon mm-hmm. i did test this out about halfway through it was just like oh can i just wipe all the dudes in this room with din's fire <laughs> did it work Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, you can kill them all with dense fire. Well, now I wish I had thought of that. I don't know about the bubbles. I tried it on the the jellies and then on the electric tentacle dudes that come out the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did they look like the earworms from yes. Wrath of Khan? Yes, they did. Um, actually, it's really funny. Um, I still didn't get a great feel for how you're supposed to kill those guys. I just sort of end up y- walking yeah, into gotta them. Yeah, you got to use the magic magic sword swing. Okay, cool. So, you know, well, that's that's the way I figured out to do it. I just sort of it t- also protects you from the electricity for some reason, which I don't really understand, but whatever. I d- I just sorta of, I just sort of tank all those hits yeah, like I mean, a boss. Yeah, so. it happens. <laughs> Whenever I play this dungeon, Rudo is obviously annoying. She's a spoiled brat. Rudo needs to check that to really though. She's got a tooth fitting for a princess, obviously, and man, it shows. Um But the and I always was annoyed by the mechanic of having to carry her around. But it adds at least adds something kind of interesting to it, right? Like you've never you're basically on an escort mission the whole time, right? So yes. I mean, the nice thing is she can't get damaged; otherwise, then it would really be a huge pita, P.I.T.A. Um, P-I-T-A. pain in the ah. Gotcha. Yeah, I was trying to avoid you having to bleep that, but we'll just go for it. I was thinking pita chips, no, with hummus i like food <laughs> um but it adds uh it adds an interesting level of depth um to i mean an already like pretty decent dungeon but now you have to be conscious about the way that you solve puzzles mm-hmm. because you have to account for i can't leave this room i can't let her drown i can't throw her off the side if i throw her into an area that i can't get in and out of i'm screwed um and then i have to backtrack and like do it all over and again. then she just shows up where you like yeah, you come like back where in you left the door turn. okay yeah. yeah but but that's a great great point i think that there's a lot more thoughtful design that went into this dungeon yes. than Dodongo's cavern it really is a legitimately great dungeon um from aesthetics certainly but also just in the way that you progress through it um and and i find myself surprised to say that because traditionally i don't like escort dungeons in zelda games where mm-hmm. you have to like keep a character with you right the whole time um this is the only time i think it happens in this game in wind waker there are two dungeons where you have to do that and the people that you're carrying around give you different abilities so it's a little bit better but like it's still it just kind of reminds me of the captain key's mission in halo combat evolved where you have to like Escort Captain Keys out of the area. <laughs> yeah, or the Natalia missions in Goldeneye, where you have to. Oh man, throwback. Yeah, where Natalia has to not die. Oh god, man, she was. Yeah, at least Ruto is completely invulnerable, that's, which is man, nice. such a big deal. So awesome. So anyway, this is the only time in the game that that this happens, but I think that it's used well. A variety of different mechanics, like weight-sensitive switches, where you have to either <laughs> that is really cool. Yeah, you have to stand on a switch with both you and Ruto, otherwise mm-hmm. it won't drop. Or you have to the leave, box. Or, the yeah, nice or box. you have to leave Ruto on a switch, otherwise the the door will lock again. You can't go through. There's some really cool stuff happening here, which I, I thought was all really well done. These things all bring you to the The main item that you get in this dungeon, which is the boomerang, so and, good. Okay, okay. So yes, the I boom, mean, it's no, it's no Link's Awakening boomerang. That's okay. Yeah, I know, I know you were going there. <laughs> this boomerang is really cool. I think that if I had to rank all the Zelda boomerangs of all time, well, obviously Link's Awakening that, that i played, one shots like everything. Well, this would even this would be even one of my least favorite, mostly just because you get it in this dungeon. And then you become an adult, and you never, and you, never, and you never need it yeah, again. That's true. Yeah, that's a very good point. So also, it's no wind boomerang from Twilight Princess. That thing was cool. Yeah. So regardless, it's really fun to use in this dungeon. This dungeon has a lot of very boomerang specific mechanics, which is a, which is a great time. Um, yeah, definitely doesn't hold a candle to the Link's Awakening boomerang, well, which no. just kills everything. So you know, it's actually, and I'm going to bring this up now as a point of the fact that you literally never use the boomerang again. In the time before I went to Zora's Domain, I went back into the Great Deku Tree to get that gold skull behind the bombable wall. Yeah. That little mother effer is high up on a wall, and you have to have a boomerang to get the, the token. Oh, are you serious? I am. I went all the way back to the Great Deku Tree, down to the basement floor level one, bombed that wall, went in there, killed the gold Sculchula, and could not get it. I spent about five minutes trying various forms of backflipping mm-hmm. and um, overhead attacking to get to it. Nope, you gotta have a boomerang. There are two golden Sculchulas in Lon Lon Ranch as well that you can only get with the boomerang. They're too high up to... Oh, good to know. Yeah, I was gonna have to Google that later. So but. That's, a good, that's a good point. I mean, you do, as much as you do spend most of the remainder of the game in adult link form, you spend a bit of time in the Grudder yeah, Desert as young link. Well, so, you do yeah. some back and forth for sure, and if nothing else, at least yes, there are collectibles in the game that you can only get by using the boomerang. So it's yeah. not it's not a completely useless item; it's a good item. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, it's a lot of fun to use in this dungeon, uh, especially uh, each of the fights where you have to kill the spiky tentacle things. You know, that's mm-hmm. all that's all well done. I love a dungeon that has specific mechanics tailored towards the item that you get in it you know except for bomb mechanics i find bomb mechanics very boring yeah but honest. the bomb is such a generic zelda item i mean it's true but this so is the boomerang is, yes but the, i would, uh, there's only one game that i can think of off the top of my head that does not have a boomerang and it is skyward Sword. yes but i don't think most zelda games or at least not the 2d ones because there right. are there are a lot of bombable wall progression mechanics in two D Zelda games. A ton. There's almost no two D Zelda game I can think of where the boomerang, again, of the ones I played, where the boomerang is a main component mechanically of, of a dungeon. That's fair. Yeah. It's yeah, you're right. It's normally like a super powerful sidebar item. Yeah, the Gale Boomerang to... in Twilight Princess definitely does and then this one does as well. So yeah. there're definitely there're definitely things in this dungeon that you can only get done with the boomerang. Uh which I love because when you really get down to it, a dungeon is is a very interesting microcosm of game design where you have this confined space, you have to get through it accomplishing a series of progressively more difficult challenges and it all ends in a boss um, and teaches you how to use the current equipment you have as well as the previous equipment exactly and, there, and there's it, it, the best design dungeons have a really great progression of this where you come in there's a um, an exploratory section where you see things that you can't clear immediately so you have to look around more you acquire an item of it about the halfway point and then the dungeon opens up and you can progress through it using that item and i think this dungeon does that very well i also think that's why you and i kind of rank skyward sword and majora's mask so high because both of those also have fantastic dungeons like the the four temples in majora's mask i can't think of a single one that i didn't like they were all really good in their own way. Yeah, Majora's Mask has definitely got four, absolutely. It's only got four dungeons, and all four of them are are bangers. So. Yeah, for sure. Okay, so that, yeah, that's a great point. We'll get into that more as we go, you know, further into other games. Um, before we get to the boss, I do just want to say, real quick, those big jellies that drop from the ceiling. God, they're annoying, right? Are those supposed to look like Metroids? Because Oh, I honestly didn't make that connection. Google a Metroid real quick. I know, I yeah. know what they look like. Okay. It looks almost exactly the same. Is that supposed to be a fun little Easter egg? Because they've got three eyes, they've got little pincers, and they're uh-huh. jellyfish-shaped. I mean, they basically... I mean, they have tentacles, which is the only difference. They have the long tentacles. Metroids yeah. don't, but... What? right wow but yeah seriously like they look like metroids they i thought do. that was cool that is really cool also very good call out yeah which by the way if anyone didn't know zelda and metroid both share their 35th anniversary which is this year quick shout out in case you didn't know is metroids this year mm-hmm. okay i cool. looked it up actually i didn't drew uh drew our fan on twitter was uh, i was twittering with him and he looked it up for me oh gotcha so cool. thank you drew for looking that up for me. Well, I very much look forward to Nintendo treating the 35th anniversary of Metroid with like a a tenth of the emphasis that they put on the Zelda one. So, yay! I don't even think they've acknowledged it publicly. It's uh, it's Nintendo's least favorite child. I know, which is kind of disappointing because the lore is pretty cool. (laughs) On Drew's recommendation, I did go and read some more Metroid lore and it was very good. Okay. So let's move on to the boss. I think that Baronade... Is one of the best wait, bosses wait, wait. in this I'm game. sorry. Can we backtrack two seconds? Sure. Um, the the mini boss, giant octo. Yes. Uh, he or she, whatever. I don't know how they gender identify. Is a harder boss than King Dodongo. Yes. He is a pain. That dude almost killed me, and I have six hearts at this point. Yep. Um. Because I would stun him and I would kind of back up a little bit and hope he would, you know, do the whole spinny thing where he goes the other direction so I can hit him in his butt. But he would just kept coming at me until he would hit me and then spin himself around and go the other way. And then I'd stun him and hit him and he was very annoying. So I took a few hits on the mini boss too. I will say for anyone who hasn't done that yet, if you do your powerful sword slashes to damage him, you can get it done in two hits. Yes, I I learned that. Yeah, so definitely, and that's actually a a pretty decent rule for a lot of enemies in this game. Don't forget to do your jump sword slashes; those do double damage. They're awesome. Yes, they're amazing. Okay, so the mini boss is good. The boss boss is great. I maintain that this is one of the better boss fights in the game from a difficulty standpoint, from a mechanics like how you actually get to the the damaging phase of the boss. Mm -hmm. I think it's all really well done. Baronade is a very frantic boss to fight. Mm it does a lot of spinning around the arena. And yeah, and it shoots those electric beams that you can't block. I tried to block it both with the Deku shield and the Hylian shield. Neither block the the electric beams. Yeah, you just have to keep moving. Yeah, and I was, I mean, yeah, the, this boss is very good. And the the mechanic of having the little jellyfish as its shield, as it swings him around at a thousand miles an yeah, hour, yeah. super cool. Um like even when it's stunned it can damage you i think it's the only boss in the game that can do that where while it's stunned it can still put out damage because it's still shooting yeah because it's still shooting the it's three little um radar dishes that shoot the electric beams are still going around like they're not actively targeting you at that point they're Mm -hmm. just kind of shooting randomly yeah but i got hit uh i think just once by it as i'm sitting there sword slashing i got i got zapped yeah um when I was a kid, this boss probably gave me more trouble than any other boss knockery in Ocarina of time, just because you do you have to very intentionally. Bongo bongo was the one for me. Oh, that, bongo, that bongo bongo is hard. Wrecked my life. Yeah. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> you said bongo bongo, and I was then thinking of King Dodongo. No, no, no. Was, yeah, yeah, that that pushover did nothing to me. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so regardless, a challenging boss. Um, it's Unless got, you play it on the Wii U pad and then apparently it's not fun. Yeah, we need we need to ask Kylie how she how she did against Baronade on the Wii U gamepad. We should we should definitely ask her that on. Oh my gosh, poor Kylie. Can't <laughs> wait to have her on again. Um, so but the thing that I love about it is that the boss has stages of damage ability, mm-hmm. and it all revolves around the item that you got in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. You've got to use the boomerang to clear out the jellyfish, yep. um, and then once you clear out more jellyfish, then it's easier to I mean, stun Baronade with the boomerang. Even just, yeah, I mean, you even have to use the boomerang to get Baronade to damage phase. Like, you have to disconnect her from the, from the ceiling. Which, by the way, I was today years old when I realized that those tendrils that she's connected to the ceiling by – are, are the parasites? Yeah, they're the they're spiky the, they're tentacles. So the, the parasite. Yeah, yeah. those those they're the spiky tentacles that you were hitting with the boomerang earlier in the dungeon. Yes. I never realized that before. Well, it's cuz you're not observant. That's fair. <laughs> That's a valid criticism. <laughs> Regardless, uh, so we fight Baronade, it's a it's a great boss fight. Baronade goes down for the count. In a truly gross fashion, I mean – Oh, the, man, just like bleh, par, all over the yeah, place. Yeah, par that for the crazy. course in this freaking dungeon where everything is nasty, Baronade explodes in like a cluster of pustules. Ugh, it's just really – that word alone which, is, yeah, is gross. It, but it, like, it, was, it was as tough for me to say it was as it was for <laughs> you to hear. Yeah. Um, Gross. Yeah, so it's it's nasty. Regardless. It does make a weird noise. It goes, Bruh! Yeah. The thing doesn't have vocal cords. How did it make a noise? I don't know, man. Regardless, Baronade is dead. Ruto is there, and she is just not. Oh, man. She is a little flustered. Yeah, she is just not um, not acknowledging at all of the struggle that we just went to. She what <laughs> but, took you so long? did she say you, you want to stay there? I can leave you there. I don't she's care. like, I wasn't even in danger. Like Ruto, we just killed a giant spiky zappy amoeba for you. So yeah, really. I mean, really, talk about ungrateful. Uh huh. So regardless, that's the end of the dungeon. Um, Matt, do you have anything else you want to say about Jabu Jabu's Belly before we move on? That. Whale really needs a marine biologist to come take a look at it. Yeah, it's, it's yes, definitely something up there uh, yeah, from a health rate from a health standpoint. It's yeah. not, also, I have many, many logistical questions about how a giant whale is in that pond, because you have to believe that a whale of that size means that there is a larger body of water, presumably an ocean or a sea um, somewhere in the vicinity of Hyrule. Uh, you would have to assume further that the whale was then raised in captivity in the pond by itself. How do they get enough fish to feed it? Um, Like, do, do they have some kind of water filtration system so it's you know waste doesn't completely contaminate Zora's fountain? So many logistical questions. These are all excellent questions, and uh, they're going to they're going to keep me up tonight. So uh, I'm yeah, glad. I'm really going to think hard about this. I don't have any answers right now. That's fair. But um, also. Who lets their child get swallowed by a whale on a regular basis and just pal around inside the whale's intestines? My understanding is that Ruto has been voluntarily being ingested by Jabu Jabu without the knowledge of King Zora. That's probably good, but also bad. And further, how does she get out every time? Well, you know... (laughs) I mean, oh. really, though, that's a, that's a very personal like, question, Does she Matt? just, like, tickle the tickle the inside of his mouth and he just, like, opens up and lets her out? Or is this a, definitely a process none of us want to go through? Matt, I'm not convinced that she gets out through that end of the page. I, that's, that's my question, Lyndon. I don't know how she gets out. Um, okay. Okay, logistical questions, yeah, like I said. Yeah, so <laughs> that was fun. That, that was a great little mental rabbit trail to go down, and I'm, I'm grateful to you for bringing it up in the first You're place. That has been part three, the dungeon map. Let's move on to part four where where we talk side quests. Um, Let's uh, pick one each because it's... Oh, I did all. I did so many. Okay, well, give me a very... Instead of digging deep into one, why don't you just give me the general rundown of what all you did? So I went, I learned the Sun Song, I learned a ponis Song, I got Den's Fire, Farer's Wind, Five Pieces of Heart, and including the one from the fishing game. I did the Bomb Chew Alley, which I beat the first part, but when you have to do it again to get the big bomb bag, the dang chicken, the giant chicken at the end—that ah—it defeated me. That chicken is massive and gorgeous, and I it's still majestic. I still will never. That's love it. Dave. Is that Dave? It's Dave. It's got to be Dave. I don't know, man. I mean, Dave. Head cannon. That chicken is great, but Dave was just something special. It is a giant chicken. How is that less special than Dave? Okay, okay, how about this? All right. New headcanon, the giant chicken in the bomb chew bowling alley is Dave. It's so big because its egg was so big, which exactly. is why, why it was, it was a weird. weird egg. There you go. Okay. okay. If you don't know what we're referring to, go back and watch last week's. Listen, Listen. to. Whatever. Listen to last week's episode where we discuss the wonders of Dave, <laughs> the, the special le- cuckoo. <laughs> the legend The legend of, of Dave. Legend of Dave. <laughs> so, okay. Dave defeated me. Um, wasted all my rupees, didn't get the big bomb bag, walked away very furious. Okay. <laughs> um, what else did I Oh, do? you weren't done? No. Uh, I went back and I played Sarah's, Saria's song for um, the Skull Kid, which I missed the first time I was in Sacred Forest. Okay. So I did that. Um, and then, I, yeah, I can be done with that. I think that was pretty much it. The only side quest that I did this time was I... Started the mask trading hmm. quest, which yep, yep, yep. which you did last week where you get the Keaton mask and yep. all that. I just – I want to know, where did the Happy Mask salesman come up with his business model? Because it makes no sense to me. No. It, it's like, weird. It, fiscally – You are trusting someone to bring you back money, and you don't know how much they even sold the mask for? Literally makes no sense. But also, how is he affording rent when, one, his entire inventory is four items, two, he doesn't even receive full revenue on those items? Nope. I just, I don't, I don't get it. No, it doesn't make any sense. Okay, rent in Hyrule Castletown must be dirt cheap. Or zero. Or Mm. maybe, we know he's evil. He's terrible, He's a terrible, terrible person, so maybe he, like, bewitched somebody or Maybe something. the king of Hyrule is just so terrified of the happy mask salesman. I think that is completely feasible. That he's just happy to let him... Just hang out. Yeah, just like he's scared to cross that's, him. Yeah, please don't use Majora's Mask on me, and we can all call it... All call it Here, somewhere. have this building for free. Yeah, exactly. I think that's feasible. feasible. Okay. That's a good explanation. Yeah, no, not worth it. So, anyway, that's all I got up to in terms of side quests. Let's move on to Z-targeting, where we lock onto fascinating characters or enemies Ooh. that we happened across Matt's going first the magic bean salesman he was mine yes (laughs) (laughs) that guy sucks he's a total douche like okay seriously (laughs) okay talk about your dubious business models one okay he's eating his inventory he's eating his inventory he's sitting there snacking on his inventory like come on man when you're not paying 10 extra rupees for each bean you buy he's just sitting there eating them in front of you like oh hey (laughs) these are hot items now like yeah dude i bought everything you've sold demand for these is really climbing as he's eating them in front of you but you just paid 30 rupees for your third one (laughs) what a jerk yes Uh, i'm so glad i got to go first Gosh, yeah, the magic bean guy is just like, man, t- talk about talk about King of his own tiny little hill. Like <laughs> his microcosm? Yeah. So anyway, and I bought three magic beans from him. Pop and four. I I only did it because I felt like I should, because I was there. Again, this goes back to the whole I'm not collecting heart pieces thing. Yeah. And I think all of those beans. Spread- yeah, I think they all lead to heart pieces when you become adult length. So anyway, I'm probably not oh. going to use. Too many magic beans. But yeah, that guy is... uh, He's really something. This has been Z-Targeting. Let's move on to part six, which is our final thoughts on this section of the game. Matt, uh, tie it up for us. So this section of the game for me was um, filler for most of the... Like, the majority of the time I spent in this game was doing side quests, collecting heart pieces, getting some more songs. Mm -hmm. Um, I spent probably half again as much time doing that as I did in the actual um quest line. Um as we discussed Dungeon really fantastic introduces um the Zora race which are their interesting people. King Zora was my secondary option for um Z targeting just because his little meweep noise is hilarious. Hey Matt. Meweep. me-weep. How long me-weep. how long does it take King Zora? Like literally an hour. No, this is a joke. Oh. Okay, please, please tell me the joke. How long does it take King Zora to move out from in front of that gate? I don't know how long. A week. A week. <laughs> A week. Okay, that was actually pretty funny. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> that was pretty good. week. A week. week also uh we get engaged in this section of the game which is fun everyone should celebrate an engagement oh happy day yay um i do want to know real quickly this so this first part of the game has a habit of like pre-adolescent humans um haleans zoras whatever um just like doing really important stuff without parental supervision that they probably should have no business doing. Um, princess Zelda literally gives you the secrets of the Royal family to a complete stranger. And then this presumably between eight to 12 year old Zora princess decides to get engaged, not only, uh, to another eight to 12 year old, but also to one who is not a member of her same species. Yeah. I was going to say princess Ruto, um, notably not a mammal. Yeah, not, I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, again, logistical difficulties. How would that work? I just am not going to question it too much. Okay, cool. So, okay, I enjoyed this section of the game quite a lot. I thought that it was certainly much less meandering than last week's section. Mm, Meandering, excellent word. Yeah, I enjoy Zora's Domain quite a lot, and I really love the setup that we're getting, somewhat spoilers for encountering these characters later in the game. Um, getting a lot of really cool Ruto coming threads. back in the water temple is really cool. Actually, at the yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. so a lot, a lot of cool stuff and setup happening here. But just on its own, good section of the game. A lot of fun stuff to get into. Great dungeon. I enjoyed it. Cool. That has been the Sacred Realms Rundown. We will be back next week with another section of Ocarina of Time. Real quick, before we get out of here, I want to get into a spot of listener mail, Matt. Um, guys, if you have a question or an observation, or if you want to just tell us how wrong we actually are, you can head over to patreon.com sacredrealmspod, where Cookery Sword patrons and above can write into the show. This week, Nick D underscore TV writes in and says, hey guys, I had a question. I started replaying Ocarina of Time with you because I thought it'd be fun. I got to Hyrule Castle, and even mm. though I know this game like the back of my hand, I remember having the hardest time getting past the guards as a kid. I begged my parents to get me the guide, which I still have. Did you guys figure it out for yourselves, or was there any part of the game where you broke down and had to use the guide as a child? Oh, excellent question. Um, so I think I don't specifically remember using the guide. Um in in the course of the Zelda and in the course of Ocarina of Time, um, granted, that was uh, 20 years ago, um, basically. So my memory may be failing me here. I do remember, though, and I totally, totally understand that there's a timing thing. The guards, especially the ones on the inside of the castle, which I imagine are the ones you're talking about. Twenty five years, by the way, almost. Yeah, that's fair. Um <clears throat> The guards on the inside of the castle, they have weird rotations and between each segment, the rotation slightly changes. So you have to be so careful about making sure to almost watch an entire patrol route before you commit to how you're going to get past them. Also, they're a little bit weird about they will sometimes hear you if you're too close behind them. Sometimes they won't. They'll sometimes see you out of the peripheral vision. Sometimes they won't. Like there is a little bit of funkiness that goes on there. Mm. Um, so definitely I do remember that part being extremely frustrating as a kid. Like before I really had a good concept of how mm. to scout out guard patrol routes, which Splinter Cell gave me a very good concept of that. in my later um, you know, like preteen <laughs> teenage years. Yeah. So so I'm I get gonna, it. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and answer this one. When I was a kid, I distinctly remember having to use the guide to figure out that you had to drop a fish in front of Jabu Jabu oh yeah so I didn't use the guide because I had him and he's so he's three and a half years older than me whenever I would get stuck, I would just go say Lyndon, what do I do so he was saying he said guide. it exactly like that too that was a that was a, a scary good impersonation of Thank your. You. You, like, five-year-old self. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Linden was my guide, and I guarantee you I used him a lot when I was that age. Yeah, that was one of the... So, that stupid fish was one of the things that I definitely got stuck on when I was younger. And I was kind of trying to keep track of if there's, again, anything in Zora's domain this time that I was playing through that tells you that you're supposed to drop a fish in front of Jabu-Jabu, and if there was, I didn't find it. I there's just, the sign next to him. It says no, like it don't, just... It says, like, don't feed Lord Jabu-Jabu, doesn't it? Uh, no, I read it, and... I believe that it just says something like, this is Lord Jabu Jabu, signed King Zora the 16th or whatever. Oh. I read the sign and it didn't – I didn't. I didn't feel like it told you anything or like it gave you any uh, sufficient hint to get I'm there. But. I didn't read the sign because honestly I just figured it told you something about don't feed the fish. Like honestly, I was just kind of making the logical assumption. I don't think that it does, but I'll go back and check it again. Okay. So anyway, yeah, no no great clues there. But yes, I definitely had to use the guide to um to figure out how to get into the dungeon. And you know, tragically we don't have that guide anymore. I remember we had to throw it out because someone spilled Dr. Pepper on it. Yeah, so that's actually a really sad story. Um that was Jackson, by the way. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well he's not here to defend himself, so, so of obviously it was it was Jackson. Jackson. <laughs> so I was actually talking with someone on Twitter the other day. Um, I'm going to give this person a shout-out real quick. And good for you, Nick D., on still having the guide because that is a serious collector's item now. And also just a nostalgia piece that's probably really fun to look at and have those memories with. Yeah. Okay, so I was talking with uh, Malora on Twitter uh, last week. Um, her her uh, handle is at History of Hyrule. It's spelled exactly how it sounds. Go follow her. She is a Zelda art historian who collects all of the official promotional and concept art that she can find for each of the Zelda games. And she's got a website called history of where she's got all that put together anyway. Um, she was a mutual follow of a guest that we're going to have on the show later in the season, and I had I had seen that she had put out and said, "Hey, th- here are these illustrations from Ocarina of Time. I don't know what they come from. Does anybody have a clue?" And I saw that, and it was the illustrations from the guide that we had when we were kids. Uh, so I, you know, I obviously knew that it was something that we had had, and anyway, we ended up getting it figured out, and. Um, kind of got her pointed towards the guide that those came from, which I believe was the official Nintendo Ocarina of Time guide. And you can find high res scans of of that online elsewhere, but it's really cool artwork. Anyway, just a fun little aside about that guidebook that we specifically had, because there were a few of them and that one specifically had some excellent artwork in it. Oh, very excellent. And I I remember I'm trying to just think off the top of my head. Wasn't the guidebook mostly in like a purple scale, like a dark purple, um, like the cover, I think was that That was the Majoras Mask one. Oh, okay. That I mean it makes sense that we get those yeah. views. but yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um like I said quick plug here. Yeah, just go follow History of Hyrule on Twitter because she does amazing work and and collects a lot of really great um pieces of Zelda past. So. Yep. All good stuff. Cool, cool, cool. Well, uh that has been our listener mail section again, guys. Remember that if you go to patreon.com/sacred realms pod, Uh, And pledge kokery Sword patron or above, you can write in listener mail as well, and we do read it here on the show. So please don't forget to go do that. We love getting your questions and talking about them uh, here on the show. If you enjoyed today's show and you would like a little extra Sacred Realms in your life, we have a wide variety of benefits over at patreon.com sacredrealmspod, including bonus episodes, um, listener mail, like I just said, the ability to vote on the next game that we play, lots of stuff in there. So go check it out. And those cool trading cards. And the excellent trading cards, which we're going to be sending out our first batch of those here in the next week or so. They came out great. And I'll be starting on the artwork for May's trading card here in a few days. But if you don't have any rupees, it's not a problem. Five star Apple Podcast reviews are a great way to support us. More reviews means more people see our show, and that makes us very, very happy, Hylians. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sacred Realms Pod for updates on the pod and behind the scenes action. Sacred Realms will be back next Wednesday with our thoughts on Ocarina of Time from opening the Temple of Time through the Forest Temple. Uh, the guest we're actually going to have on that episode is Cody, who is the webmaster over at Zelda Universe. Um, he he ran an article on this show before it started up, and Zelda Universe has been great partners to us, so we're really excited to have him on. And we're going to have a huge chunk of game to cover with a lot of really good dialogue. Yeah, next week's next week's section of game is beefy. I I fully expect that episode to hit an hour and a half easy. So <laughs> yep. that's that's going to be fun. Um, As always, we would love for you to play along with us and to share your thoughts on our social channels. Ocarina of Time can be played on the Nintendo 3DS or 2DS, and as Kylie mentioned last week, if you have a Wii or a Wii U. No, not a Wii, just a Wii U. No, but it was all on the Virtual Console. You could get Ocarina of Time on the Wii Virtual Console, which is the same did way you could, totally missed that portion. Of you the did, Wii you generation. did. But okay. so that that's the same way you could get it on the Wii U is by booting up the Wii emulator and going to the Virtual Console and doing that. But the the thing is, I'm pretty sure that that is no longer accessible. I think Nintendo shut that service down. But if you got Ocarina of Time on the Virtual Console on your Wii or Wii U, then yes, you can still play it there although that sounds like a less than optimal way to do it and of course you can always boot up your trusty old n64 which uh is uh is a great thing to do sometimes it is it's a lot of fun in the meantime sure blowing that cartridge at least three times at least three three is the magic number much, much like you have to hit every boss in the eye three times yes you got to blow in that cartridge three times <laughs> almost intentional <laughs> In the meantime, may your hearts be full and may your arrows never miss. We will catch you guys next time. Sacred Realms is an independent podcast production, which is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Lyndon Willoughby. Our music comes from Zelda and Chill by Mikkel and is graciously provided to us by Mikkel and Game Chops Records. Zelda and Chill is available to stream on Spotify or to purchase directly from GameChops.com. Finally, our thanks go to Nintendo for creating such exceptional and innovative experiences. Bye!